0: First of all, need to properly explain why the vulnerability is there and then prove the impact. So POCs, it, they are extremely valuable. And every time there isn't a POC is like quite painful because the, the person reviewing it almost needs to do the bug hunt for, for the white hat, right? And the POC makes everything clear, not just for the reviewers, but for the, for the researcher itself.
1: GM, GM, everyone. My name is Degachi, your host, and I'm here with GM Hacker from Immunify. How's it going, man? Hello, glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Pleasure to have you on. Um, We've been friends for quite some time, but we've never actually spoken, so this is our first real talkative interaction. Um, So we'll definitely put this one in the books. I think it'll be a great introduction to, a great intro would be basically what do you do right now? Sure.
0: Uh, Currently, I essentially do triaging, smart contract triaging at Immunify. Also, I kind of lead the development of any potential smart contract solutions that we do. Yeah, basically that's it. That's my my main work is at Immunify.
1: Immunify, sweet. And how long have you been there for?
0: So I started as a white hat scholar. Immunify had, I don't think they run this uh, as of now. They okay. might have stopped it. They might run it in the future, but they ran a white hat scholarship where basically essentially you would get paid to transition potentially to a white hat living essentially. Uh, so so I entered into that. I also had met a lot of people from the company before, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Uh, I'm based in Lisbon, and some of them are from Lisbon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, eventually after the scholarship, um, I got a job as a triager. And yeah, that's been like, the scholarship was a year ago, essentially.
1: Right. And I know that uh, Immunify is known for their public contests. So what is the difference really between, and I guess it's an in-house triager and I guess a contractor slash public contest participant.
0: Oh, you mean uh, between a, like a white hat and a triager or something like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you've been like basically hired by Immunify to be a triager, a uh, white hat. Yeah. So, what's the difference between yeah, them? Yeah. So, but, so, so
0: yeah. Immunify uh, as a bug bounty platform, um, you have a, a lot of people that basically, uh, well, it is an open platform essentially, so people That's can true. just white hat. Yeah. They can just try to find vulnerabilities in projects, in live projects. Yeah. And you don't need to be at all associated to Immunify. You mm-hmm. can just if you find a vulnerability, you'll go to Immunify and report it. Uh, then you had this scholarship where it was basically like a support for certain people to mm-hmm. do that kind of living, uh, but not, right. not at all the the typical thing to do. And right. then a triager is actually a, a, a person at the Immunify company uh, associated to Immunify, and the triagers will will get the bug reports and kind of do well they triage so they will check whether the bug report is valid whether the vulnerability exists and what would be a fair payout for the okay okay so
1: you're like basically um you review the reports um right yeah exactly exactly. okay got you yeah yeah okay i thought triager as in like you're an in-house security. Okay, that makes complete sense. Maybe it's just the name. Um, sweet. So you're basically reviewing people's reports um, and seeing whether they're correct or, you know, basically reviewing them. One thing I would like to ask is, like, how did you get into all of this? Like, where did your career start, and then finally got into reviewing public contest reports, all that kind of stuff.
0: Sure. So basically, I started working as a software engineer when i was uh at a university still Mm -hmm. i was doing aerospace engineering and in the end of in like it's it's five years and in the fourth year Mm -hmm. i basically wanted already to get married to be honest that was mostly the 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 reason for starting to work basically i wanted to get some money. So I started working as a software engineer. I, I had the, the the luck, basically, of, of starting that sort of work. I had to learn most of stuff at the job, though I, though I had learned how to program uh, in C, in low-level languages. And essentially, that was more of a... even It grew to be sort of embedded systems engineering a lot of microcontroller stuff also just the typical raspberry pi and server so it was uh, it, it grew to a sort of sysadmin position or sysadmin kind of job and yeah it, that's how i started and if, and i and i immediately understood that actually what i wanted to do was yeah code yeah, sure. being a software engineer etc I, I then transitioned into the banking industry, work okay. at a bank.
1: As a software engineer or like- Yes, sub-
0: also as a about. software engineer, basically trying to reform some of the technologies. We, we were working on a very math heavy analytics library that was in C++, very old C++. We were trying to do testing in Python, because okay. all all the tests <laughs> all the testing was done with with excel spreadsheets oh god all right yeah and well, it was very difficult actually to to reform anything because the older engineers are very set to their own yeah. ways yep, for yep. example we we couldn't convince them to use git they they were using subversion which which is a which was something I had never heard or seen yeah, yeah. before. Yeah, Some like custom tools. It's, it's like Git. It's like Git, but older. <laughs> I guess.
1: Okay, like pre-Git stage.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's also <laughs> to to version control, but uh, yeah, a little bit worse in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, then I went to an IT company here in Portugal, focused on digital TV this was a lot of just jumping around uh, yeah, in yeah. different industries and but it was at at this time during this particular company that i eventually uh, heard about crypto yep. uh, uh, i met some friends that essentially really pressured me into yeah you should definitely learn how to program smart contract so I started studying that on the side and immediately I I got hooked to be honest I just the first thing I did was reading the was to read the bitcoin white paper Mm -hmm. and just that I I immediately fell in love with it to be honest I really thought it was an ingenious engineering uh idea and yeah so so all the the moments during work and after work where I had some where where I wasn't working essentially I was just studying up, yeah yeah just a ton of stuff so this sec- and and when the security part of it entered into into play because what I found out was at least my impression was that. Uh, the security researchers in the space were the ones that deeply knew the, the technology, mm-hmm. and, th- and that's what I wanted. Uh, I wanted to deeply understand the technology. I also convinced my company to to allow me to to do some courses, or not okay. to do, but to to lecture some courses to okay. to to the other employees. So I would use this as an excuse for me to, to force me to learn stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I I I lectured Python courses, um, some data science courses as well, and then I convinced them to for me to lecture uh courses about bitcoin about smart contracts etc so so it would force me to learn to actually learn uh the technologies and, and basically then... eventually just it just suddenly i just suddenly realized man i just need to start working in this industry to to really learn on the job to to learn with with people that that know direct more than myself. yeah gotcha you. So yeah, I made a deep dive essentially and mm-hmm. was a really good decision.
1: <laughs> and then you got into Immunify, like basically reporting through that, I'm I'm assuming. Like how did you start that kind of journey? Yeah,
0: I still, so I just sent out a whole bunch of curriculums. I was already, I would say like a, a good software engineer. So when I learned uh, smart contracts and I, 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 I made a deep dive into the EVM, etc. Uh, right. I thought I was confident that I could do some solidity developer work, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't have anything to 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 support that claim. Right? That that I knew okay. uh, the sort I of stuff. So I, yeah, I tried building up my GitHub with some repos, with some solutions to CTFs, etc. Yeah, mm-hmm. and eventually after sending just a bunch of curriculums to so many places there was one company that that accepted me it was called Ratham network which is something most people never heard of yep. but anyways they let me do solidity work which which was the 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 goal essentially mm-hmm. so that was very cool and after that i just started doing a lot of freelancing stuff always solidity development yeah in an NFT marketplace as well, and some, some companies that wanted to build out smart contracts. Yeah. And by the time I eventually uh, applied to the White Hat Scholarship of Immunify, because Immunify was, was always, from the beginning, a company uh, that I was following uh, mm-hmm. due to the security researchers and et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I jumped into Immunify. At the same time, I jumped into a an action an a blockchain academy as well, where I was lecturing just blockchain stuff, which yeah, also yeah. helped me a lot to grow. And yeah, so a lot of
1: content creation, and then that's how you're building sort of your resume, and then you kind of supplied for the scholarship thing, and then it, it just really, um, it was like a gateway into a right?
0: Yeah, exactly. That that was basically. They still have very, I would say, very difficult a a very difficult hiring process For to sure. become a triager and some. What do they kind some, of look? Is like, yeah. basically, yeah. I, I'll just say right away how how it is. They they do have a a part like a a social part where where you really need to fit into the team yeah the uh, they really want yeah they really want people to to be aligned, aligned. and to have the same culture yeah. etc uh which is just a culture of transparency
1: and it makes just, sense yeah you want people to be yeah. on the same kind of vibe yes, as you get along all that stuff same vision especially
0: for a for a security company i also think that they have Standards more trust issues as well
1: yeah for sure um so basically you did that and then i guess there was like technical did they make you like write reports or review anything for this kind of thing yeah
0: exactly it was really just to like oh at 10 a.m uh at a given day you will receive an email with code yeah and you will have four hours to submit a report on that code
1: okay oh so it was like a contest kind of thing right
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. finding at at uh, as many vulnerabilities as I possibly code uh, okay. could and the the code was insanely faulty, you know, so okay. it was just full of vulnerabilities but but that was actually pretty Pretty weird, because uh the vulnerabilities would would pile up mm-hmm. um, and obviously they had a sort of threshold also the the important vulnerabilities that I needed to to find yep. and yeah
1: it, it was basically the and you that. Built, so you built like a report basically find all the vulnerabilities, and this is basically to see if you can identify the bugs so if someone let's say like for you, for basically reviewing reports you've got to see. What they've submitted see if that's true check the proof of concept um so it's it's creating a report instead of reviewing it so that's a bit weird how does, how does that yeah kind of that's come true
0: out? that's true i guess it's also a a way uh to understand your fundamentals, uh, whether okay, right, yeah. you actually understand. For example, you would probably have a bug like a, a, a classic reentrancy bug, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so naturally, they would expect me to to find that out. But maybe mm. there were a little bit more uh, some some bugs that that were harder to to. To eventually reach a meaningful impact, for example, yeah, yep. those those bugs uh, will will tell a lot about your skill set, for example. Anyways, it's not the same as uh, well finding bugs is not the same as reviewing, reviewing. the report because
1: you're given the uh, answers, yeah. right? Yeah,
0: so I exactly say the the report will have the answer or 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 maybe not. It's not it's not as straightforward, but but yeah, it's it's more like. Mm-hmm. it it actually tells you to look at these specific parts right while, yeah. while when I, when when hunting for a bug you don't mm-hmm. know where the bugs are yeah
1: i think it's very interesting to see this kind of side of Bug, bug bounties and even just auditing in general. Because um, you've got one aspect, which is finding the bugs, detecting them, right? But how can you convey that to the client, customer in a meaningful way that could t- teach them how to be better in the future and where they've gone wrong so they can prevent this you know, in, in future iterations. So having said that, for basically audit firms and private auditors, all that kind of stuff, what do you think is missing slash can be improved on for making a high quality report like what differentiates a low quality report from a high quality report
0: oh wow that's a heavy question so there's there's always a lot of just time constraining to be honest what i see is that uh, there's a lot of uh, firms or people that that for a given report will have a lot of time to actually dive deep into the code, to actually understand everything and just have your time uh, to play around with the code, right? Like to uh-huh. to basically be, be creative about it, just thinking about it uh, uh, during your day, even after work hours, the, the code just lives a little bit in your head and you just uh-huh. hallucinate a little bit. That's how... Uh, I've heard being said, which is like, what if uh, this particular part would break, or is, or if I can change the order of something, etc. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, um, that's a, a, I would say, a very valuable part of of an auditor or or having uh, an auditing firm review your code, mm-hmm. and i do think that when i see uh, a an audit report that has again some projects might just not have this uh, these vulnerabilities but when there when a report has a lot of business flow errors like yeah. logic errors those normally tell me that the auditor really dove deep into the code really understood mm-hmm. What was the point of the code uh, to find those vulnerabilities, right? It's not the same as there are some, some address zero checks that are missing here and there, which yeah. is also valuable. But actually, uh, most of those small misses can be built up to a, to a larger impact. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, you, you typically see reports with that. You, you immediately think that, wow, the these reports okay they 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 do have uh, quality but again mm-hmm. all auditors will will have time constraints so uh, yeah. for example for, for code arena typically the bugs found they, they are found uh, in a speed running style right where, yeah, yeah where auditors don't have as much time to just dive into the code and, yeah. and think about totally it etc yeah
1: yeah and yeah so i guess like Um, Let's say we do have these time constraints. What do you think are like some really best practices for making a quality report in the shortest amount of time? Like if you have like, you know, a week to do, a week or two for a a report, um, basically. Do
0: you you mean in like the, uh, just the report quality?
1: Yeah, report quality. Let's say they found the bugs already and they have like a short amount of time to write a report. Um, How can they make it, you know, really top tier quality for the amount of time they have?
0: Yeah, good question. I, I think also that applies to bug hunting as well, uh, not just yeah, auditing. Exactly. So yeah. the, the most important uh, part, white hats and auditors, quite often they, they just uh, assume that mm-hmm. the project, because the code is f- from the project, they will understand a lot of things. So they can just write a report that doesn't need to say, it, it can omit a lot of the details, Okay? Mm-hmm. Which is not a good approach because often enough you will mm-hmm. have people reviewing those reports that are not like fully familiar with the code as a project, like the triagers, yeah. the judges, etc. And it should be pretty clear what the impact is of yep. a bug. So meaning not just like fitting it into a vulnerability type, but rather mm-hmm. fitting it into an impact type. Okay? OK, that's how, for example, at Immunify, we we check the severity of, of bugs. Yep. It is completely correlated to impact. So you can find a, a, a re-entrancy bug in a given smart contract, but it all will depend on the actual impact of that vulnerability. OK, gotcha. and so t- for that, you first of all need to properly explain why the vulnerability is there and then prove the impact so pocs mm. they are extremely valuable and yep. every time there isn't a poc is like quite painful because the right. the person reviewing it almost needs to do, do the bug themselves. hunt for for the white hat right and the poc makes everything clear not just for the reviewers but for the for the researcher itself
1: yeah yeah solidifying that actually works yeah
0: exactly and and most of the time it can actually tell you oh after all the impact is not as meaningful as i thought or there is some particular part of the code that actually doesn't allow me to do this especially for speed running this is super valuable to 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 really make sure that you are actually reporting a a a, an existing vulnerability
1: so touching on proof of concepts since that's such a critical thing for a report to be you, you know high quality how do you actually make a high quality proof of concept and presenting that to your client
0: Good question. So it doesn't need to be like super code heavy, uh, but also shouldn't be pseudocode, okay? And it shouldn't be bullet points and nothing like that. If you want to have like bullet point explaining, you put comments explaining uh, the code of your POC, okay? Mm -hmm. But it should be, uh, the ideal is always like a test script where the client can just, have it, and run it. But I'm thinking mostly in bug hunting, like <sighs> at Immunify. But in oh, no. audits, normally, there isn't like a ton of time to do a full test script. Right. So, but you should at least have the code that they can copy and paste into a test script, okay? Whether right. it is just a, an attacking contract in Solidity yeah. or a Forge, like a Forge-like uh function script yeah, function.
1: Like a for type of...
0: Or maybe a TypeScript one where basically just they they can understand what, what the hell you are doing with their smart contracts mm-hmm. but just by looking at the calls. Mm-hmm. But also they can run it if if they are or or, or at least there's there's a, a very small amount of steps to to allow them to run the proof of concept.
1: Right. So If you want to present, I guess there's two ways of doing. uh, There's two things I want to touch on. Is okay. So we're talking about off-chain. I mean, yeah, off-chain reports and audits. So the state isn't actually live, and you haven't got it initialized in any way. So how would you make a proof of concept that can be executed, but you haven't? It's not actually deployed. So I guess you would have to deploy it first, put all the state, and if it's a massive repo, right? How do you do that in effective? Effective yeah way. Good
0: question. So you you can just uh, create a test a test file or a function or a test function just like the the tests that the project already has, hopefully. If it has tests, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So you can just do it uh unit test style, okay? Not right. running against uh live live State. addresses yeah. uh, because they don't exist, but as if you were running a unit test and it actually breaks or Mm -hmm. or it is or it passes and you are attacking it and then Mm -hmm. you do some console logs or whatever but doesn't need to be that if if the if the code is explanatory enough you don't need to build a a full unit test Right. as long as you provide like the, the important calls to lead to the impact. So I, I've seen a lot of proof of concept. This is this might be like a misunderstanding. Uh, a lot of proof of concepts that prove, uh, I'm thinking at Immunify, of course, but yep, that yep. prove the vulnerability existence, but they don't prove uh, at all the impact. So they would go like having some code and they will stop when they prove like, oh, as you can see, i can i can yeah i can call this uh more times than it should for example mm-hmm. or something like that and then you'll have like a common saying so because of that you could drain the contract but you're like oh whoa whoa oh, hold on a second so how do you drain the contract right you, you right. need to provide also the code that will do that and yeah. there's a just a this is so frequent this is really like oh, really? the, the majority of yeah yeah majority of proof of concepts will do this will will just well, well even even the the like elite hackers they might just assume that you understood okay uh, at this point i'm pretty sure you understood that i could damage your contract heavily but often enough it's not at all obvious <laughs> yeah. uh, and 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 in others it's just like oh because of that you can you can uh, I can drain your your contract but they might just not know how to exploit the vulnerability actually so mm-hmm. they need to provide and actually this is just the proof of concept is is for the researchers benefit is it's like yeah. a, a really good argument uh, argumentation really making the case for the bounty they want to get paid um, so if your proof of concept is really good and really explanatory and 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 makes everybody understand the impact really well, mm-hmm. then it will be easy to provide you a fair payout as well.
1: Mm. Interesting. Yeah, and another thing I wanted to touch on was... Um, so there's two different types of auditing. There's obviously off-chain, which is like pre-deployment, and there's also post-deployment where it's on-chain. So I guess if you were if you found a bug on chain, and it's actively open for exploitation for like anybody to come like blackout, what would you expect from someone that found an on chain vulnerability, and they wanted it to be a white hat? How do you think they would structure the, the report and this process of actually bringing the white hat into existence and like notifying the team, etc, like that? How do, you, how do you think that goes?
0: So you mean from the point you find a, vulner- a live vulnerability, right? Yeah,
1: let's say I've been, like, I've been studying a project for a little bit and oh, yeah. I found something. And it's let's say it's already been audited, but I found something while it's been deployed. How do I disclose that? What's the process? Um, what's the proper yeah. way? So
0: the first thing you need to do is you need to see whether the project has a bug bounty program or not. Whether okay. it is at Immunify or... If they ha- if they've got their own bug bounty program, mm-hmm. like something on their docs or whatever. Um, if they don't have it, it will be at least you need to trust that they can they can reward you with something. They yeah. might just not, right? You can also shame them in the public square if they if they sure, don't sure. pay you anything, but will not be the same as just money hence why the existence of like bug bounty platforms but if if they don't have it i would still advise of course to report it responsibly so you would need to to speak with the team uh like enter their discord or something find some someone and dm Mm -hmm. them something like that like hey I found this thing. I think it's pretty critical. Let's chat or something like that, right? Yeah. And eventually, you would you would need to provide them the proof of the vulnerability they've got, right? And then pray a little bit that they will reward you something.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Which is For good. Sure. Most of most of projects will do that, right? And yeah. And if they don't, maybe you don't have like a big incentive to be hunting a bug on that project as if they have a platform uh like immunify you need to even though this is like exhilarating that you suddenly find a, a live exploit and, uh-huh. and pretty critical of course the every minute counts it, it seems right yeah not only can it be exploit and, and potentially still user funds, but actually also just on the matter of your payout, some other white hat can front run you, right? Some other researcher (laughs) might find the vulnerability first. Still, you'd really need to properly write a report and making sure that you explain everything with great detail. And of course, the proof of concept will just serve as the proof for yourself as well that the impact actually exists.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that you would have to do a Proof of Concept before everything else, regardless. Um, it's yeah, not just exactly. You to exactly. make sure it actually is exploitable. Uh,
0: otherwise, yeah, I, I would all, always recommend that you do the Proof of Concept before, unless you are like absolutely sure and you are a seasoned uh, white hat. Otherwise, you just need to really yeah you you should build your proof of concept first to to make sure that the vulnerability exists before you start like putting a team uh into incident response mode right Mm -hmm. and and suddenly it's nothing and and people just got stressed out about it
1: one thing i would like to touch on is so if if you're making a report for uh basically a private audit um i guess how would you even build a reputation from just private audits right I guess it just becomes like networking and not really publicizing anything of the reports, even though that might be like a massive, you know, key thing. So how do you like, the question is, how do you expand your network if you're just doing private audits for, let's say, a few people?
0: I see. Private audits, meaning that, but but then you can show off your reports, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if they want, if they don't want it like disclosed, how would you?
0: Ah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, even at immunify there's a lot of bug reports, really juicy ones that don't don't ever see the light of day because um, gotcha. the, yeah. the project doesn't want doesn't really doesn't want it, and the mm-hmm. researcher agrees. So you you never actually see even if mm. it is a, a huge bounty but yeah you're right that's that's harder of course if you have public r- public reports like if you do private audits and, and the project lets you audit lets you present a report so essentially just normal auditing without being a white hat hacker normally mm-hmm. normal audits will, will always be public that is the way to to build your your reputation like showing the vulnerabilities that you have found and obviously public contests are extremely helpful for that Code Arena style for example or Sherlock you you can just build a, a repo or like a portfolio with the, with the vulnerabilities that you find and even with the reports you, you can hear interviews of some auditors from Spearbit for example yeah. and Spear, Spearbit will actually values in the hiring process actually values not just the vulnerabilities you have on your on your portfolio but also how you reported it how thorough uh is your reporting and your proof of concept writing other than that yeah right. networking Word truly of mouth. is yeah but it, it is truly helpful right and and yeah, and yeah showing off your skills showing off your progress uh building uh everything that you try out and and build to learn if you can just publicize it just put it open source, share it on Twitter, yeah. talk with other people that that also have the same interests. All of that is super helpful.
1: Why did you choose to get into basically bug hunting, like report reviewing instead of the actual process of, you know, attacking? Yeah. Why did you choose reviewing over Participating.
0: Sure. Mostly, I, I decided to enter the Munify company. Right. I knew some people there, and I knew also that working with them would provide me a really valuable experience. I still have much to learn, and hence why I, I, I thought uh, that joining a company would help me with that. Of yeah, course, yeah. there's there's a lot of uh, just pros and cons into just joining a company, especially in, in this sort of space where you yeah. can have a lot of flexibility in so many ways, yeah. uh, particularly as, as, a, as an auditor, as a, as a white hat hacker. But there's also value to basically going to some place where you where you see people that inspire you and that have more experience than yourself and just mm-hmm. learn with them. So for example, the, the Spearbeat model for me is like a, such an intelligent one where you Mm -hmm. have teams and and juniors and then associate whatever seniors leads or Yep. whatever their ranking and the higher ups will help the smaller ones, the ones with less experience. And you just see those highly experienced uh, security researchers in action, right? Mm-hmm. you see, you hear their tips, you work with them. Right. That's a super valuable experience. Also the experience of just being standalone uh, hunting and just grinding. It's, it's really good as well. There's, there's there's much to learn on that
1: in report reading it's a completely different field to finding the bugs directly and are you like working under people like apprenticeships um, when you first start like shadowing or is it purely just like you review and that's it? So there's also pros of
0: reviewing, much like you see people becoming judges in Code Arena. But here it is more, there's a, a bigger difference, which is the, the reviewing part of it. The reviewers will see reports and vulnerabilities that nobody else will see.
1: Okay, right. A,
0: a huge chunk of reports are private. Yep. like a a really big amount and even critical ones okay and the elite hackers they just have a creat a creativity to find an exploit that is beyond imagination really it, yep. it's really impressive to read really challenging as well
1: considering you have all this experience with a uh, report reading and you, you see the elite hackers, like all of them building these reports. It's got to be like from a fundamental point of view, like objectively, it, it seems like the best way to accelerate becoming an elite because you're reading everyone's report. You can see the quality. So what do you think is the most common thing you see in the elites? Uh, as you said, it's, it's creative things, creative thinking. So what, what do you, can you elaborate on that, please?
0: Yes, I can. It's hard to explain, even the hacker mentality. I, I, I really like uh, thinking about it, and just there's so many different like hacker personalities. But in general, the elite hackers will 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 find or will think about breaking your code in a way that nobody else thought of. Mind you, this is these are live contracts. They went through often enough went through a lot of auditing and even. Yeah. With with a lot of reputation with in companies with a lot of reputation. But the hackers, it seems like when they suddenly focus on a particular code base, mm-hmm. they will find something. It, it is really impressive. And mostly it's it's really out of the box. Okay? Yeah. So really an out of the box thinking and with a high level thinking as well, where where everything plays, whether Potentially, you have access to some million dollars, uh, some large amount of money uh, Mm -hmm. for a big period of time or, you know, anything else. Leveraging just a a bunch of different technologies. Yeah, Uh, it's really impressive. Yeah, it's really impressive. It it doesn't mean uh, an elite hacker doesn't mean that it writes that they write. a quality report, okay? Right. Yeah. Uh, somet- sometimes, the, the the reports are pretty. They suck a little bit because okay. <laughs> the, the the elite um, might just have just so many assumptions that that doesn't think about uh, the fact that the project even the project doesn't fully understand uh, what the actual vulnerability is, and the, yep. for mm-hmm. the elite, it just seems so obvious. And often okay, they yeah. they have. They have time constraints. They seem to have time constraints as well, or they yeah. are aggressive in their negotiation process. Mm. So they will go like they will show the vulnerability and they will say, "Oh, as you can see, there's this impact, like one million dollars of impact. But I'm sure if I had time, I could grow this impact to ten million dollars, right?" And right. you would be like, well, "How? How would you do that, please?" In action, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think. I never had this kind of perspective prior to this, this kind of chat, but it really seems like it's a very lucrative job in terms of information and research. And you can really see what the best are doing. And you can compare like, okay, what makes a good report What makes a bad report? What makes a good? What are the most common vulnerabilities, which I want to like touch on as well, how people separate themselves, it becomes really apparent, right? When you read through, you know, hundreds of reports, like a like you probably have done, and for different like scenarios as well, like races, like the public contests, normal audits, you know, it, it's got to be like a lot of differential differential factors um, involved. But yeah, just to touch on uh, the most common critical vulnerabilities you see, even just like highs, mediums. What are like some patterns you you, you see, or yeah, common ones?
0: Good question. I I think that the the common vulnerabilities have grown in the space, or, or have changed uh, with time. Yep. Uh, you would see a lot of vulnerabilities that were typically found, like, for example, reentrancy. Of course, the the one that the most f- famous one. Yeah. Uh, always, they still exist, as you see from Pascal's repo on re-entrancy attacks. They mm-hmm. uh, he he keeps the those records, and they still get exploited, right? So you don't yeah. even see the ones that don't get exploited. But you can also see that they start to be less frequent. So yeah. uh, I think that the, the bugs that that start appearing, they are more complex and they tend to require you to deeply very deeply understand the code. So you no longer have those sort of bugs that you are just scanning through solidity lines and there's a solidity line that is inaccurate, right? right. There's a solidity line there that, or or there's a missing solidity line. Yep. No, there, the, the difference now is really about business logic, mm-hmm. uh, state machine changing, for example. If you see some of Trust's Audit reports, for example, yeah. uh, and he's the same li- like that in, in just bug hunting. Most of his bugs are are like finding, basically env- envisioning, seeing the the higher level state machine that a given protocol is, mm-hmm. and managing to find the state that the projects that the developers were not aware that it could exist, right?
1: Like, like a symbiotic relationship kind of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and it it is, it is, you really need to, to train that muscle of deeply understanding something. And also just having the creativity to think without, without developer assumptions, thinking, how can I jump into this weird state? Even if they think uh, Mm -hmm. it is not possible. I see yeah, a lot of the critical bugs are like this. You can, you also see some that are simpler.
1: Yeah, like input validation, access control.
0: Exactly, yep. exactly. But they start to be less and less frequent. Of course, uh, yeah. The The bugs now require a, a, an actual deeper understanding, right? You can still see some bugs. And, and back in the day, you would see a lot of bugs that were just, you know, those lines. So even Simple. people that didn't didn't understand anything about blockchain, didn't yeah. understand anything about the EVM, uh, still they would have this hacker mentality or this uh, threat modeling approach where they would just manage to find the vulnerability anyways, even mm. if they didn't understand very well why it was a vulnerability or something, but they, they mm-hmm. managed to break the contract, so they report it, which is interesting. Yeah, uh, super yeah.
1: interesting. I would like to touch on since you've gotten into this field and it's taking you you've got you know we all go through like those you know jumping career pathways stuff like that um I think if you were to I guess redo your whole career or like at least redo getting into this field uh, rather how would you kind of accelerate the whole <laughs> process again I think it's good to look back at it right
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's good to to like evaluate your decisions as well just for better decision making in the future. I would love to have jumped into it sooner. Right. Not not just to find not just to manage and, and to nail opportunities sooner but just, just because the industry is so, so interesting, uh, I wish somebody had had talked about it in, in university or, or right, something right. because it's so interesting. And, and right now with 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 work and, and stuff, um, yeah. it's harder to sometimes have the time outside of work to to dedicate to like continuing to learn some some stuff that is outside of your normal work. Right. Yeah, so... like diving into new languages for example or or yeah. you know zk technology all of those I mean there's so many rabbit holes in crypto that that is insane. Right. Uh, yeah, so... with with regards to my career path I guess I, I would definitely have given more emphasis on public good building okay. uh, and on open source Coding yeah. because it really, it was it was something that I ha- I didn't have experience on. Mm-hmm. Um, all my companies uh, previously just had everything uh, closed source mm-hmm. and it is super enjoyable to to not only build your own things, but mm-hmm. also to to go to some other code and contribute. Uh, it's it's really enjoyable, I really like it. And I should have dedicated maybe more time on that because I, I didn't know it was such a valuable thing, not just for yourself, right. but just for building uh, your, your, yeah. You.
1: Yeah, and I guess, what does your kind of like daily schedule look like um, in this ideal world where you wanna do what you, you're doing efficiently and most effectively? Um, to get as much out as possible, most optimal, I guess. Um, yeah, what, what does your daily schedule kind of look like? Um, or if you're sure. trying to like change it, if or if you're like currently changing it or want to change it, what, what does it look like to be most optimal?
0: Sure. Um, so I started early working on Immunify stuff, so, so like 8 a.m. Uh, I wake up earlier than that, also have kids that wake up Really early, yeah. I start with Immunify, and the morning is the time to me that that really where where I'm more mentally sharp. So on that time, I will do very very concentrated work, like deep work uh, gotcha. stuff, and yeah, just do a lot of Immunify work. Uh, eventually, in the afternoon, I will start transitioning. I always have like uh, at least some education stuff to do education/researching slash portion of the day for yeah. example right now i i've been building uh some things with node guardians which is a a company that that does does like uh some quests some ctf style quests like mm-hmm. like if it were with a with an rpg theme uh yeah. like a game uh it's it's really interesting actually i've been building some of those it also provides me the the experience of like Uh, Trying out new stuff, new languages as well. Yeah, so I will have a dedicated time to that. And I would always have something. I have a list of articles and stuff like that. I would print... At least a paper, uh, which doesn't doesn't get uh, read in a single day, but yeah. I would print out a paper and, a, and an audit report because I oh, continue sure. reading audit reports because I still think it's super yeah, valuable. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And the papers will just be read uh, throughout the days.
1: Yeah, kind of like books and whatnot.
0: Yeah, uh, I normally read books after like all this time. Uh, so yeah, yeah. In, in, during family time, basically, I do read a lot. Yeah, normally articles. I I try to print most of them, mm-hmm. just because I've been finding out that that reading on the tabs on on the internet is just a little bit more distracting. Yeah, yeah, uh, so. uh, yeah. I've been going into all that rabbit hole of just how to how to
1: stop optimize the, those sort of
0: things. Yeah. And, and, and stop like tab
1: surfing, I would say. Yeah. Like, yeah. And what have uh, you, what have you found from that? Actually?
0: Yeah. I, I, I've implemented uh, some things that work out really well for me. For example, I had just a ton of tabs because there's so many things that uh, one wants to keep up with and yeah. doesn't want to lose. Uh, so you either bookmark the hack out of just a, a ton of stuff or, uh-huh or you have so many open tabs. And what and what, I, what I was starting to have this experience that with so many tabs, I mm. would continuously go through the tabs to, to recheck what what I had. Yeah. Like, wait, what did I have on all the tabs? And I would open, 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 and just waste a ton of time on that. So mm. instead, I just write on a note. Uh, I have like a a a a note with future articles right something mm-hmm. like that and and i have it separated in in categories so Got if you. i end up seeing a new article i will put it there and yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's actually it, it is very different because they are not open so you can just look at the note and you have immediately like the title of it instead of needing to open the the URL, you mm-hmm. just have the title and the categories, so if you have time, you can go to, let's say I have like 20 minutes or something, so I can go to the the small articles section and just grab a few of them, right? Yeah. Or maybe I have an hour or, or for the weekend, I go to the papers section and I print out a, a, mm-hmm. a paper. I've been, uh, I found that to, to, to work uh, mm-hmm. a lot with That's me. Also, to, also having a list that, that is like next articles to read and if i want to really read another one for example uniswap v4 just came out right yeah. there's a there's a new article on that or whatever i really want to read that i need to read first the the f- five uh, articles that i have on my next so yeah. only when i read those five i can even some others
1: right anyways so you know, like, i'm just trying games. out <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> For sure, man. We are running out of time here, but I think it's been a pleasure. You've opened my eyes to the world of reviewing audits, um, reports. <laughs> I think it's actually quite an interesting field now. I, I thought initially it was quite boring, but now I can definitely see the value in just reading reports. And I think anybody trying to get into what you're doing or auditing, they should definitely read reports from the best of the best um people that have found criticals and just like top tier i guess companies as well maybe what are your do you think top tier companies do really good reports as well or yeah yeah, yeah. they the, yeah,
0: there's yeah. a lot of companies that also bug hunt yeah yeah definitely they do they do good reports though i mean uh some audit reports from 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 high high ranked firms might, might not be that good uh, just the auditing ones because okay. they, they might just try to like increase the severity more than than it actually is. Oh, I okay. see that happening often. Uh, yeah,
1: and that's not beneficial in long term, is it?
0: No, that's not at all. Just like yeah. uh, I I I I had shared one on Twitter. I will not name the the firm, but it is a it it is a high rank one that had a report which uh, on a bug that was just the. It was not a bug. Uh, it, it was like um, instead of using the ownable, like yeah. having a, a, a an owner, um, just recommending to use the two- step ownership, uh, okay. which is like you you have a a function call that that starts the transitioning. to an address and then that address needs to accept the ownership anyways it is to avoid you mistakenly sending the ownership to some other address but it was considered like a high vulnerability which is like what it's not even it's not even like a vulnerability per se it would be like a recommendation um, right
1: yeah yeah right right interesting but
0: maybe they have like incentives to to increase this severity I don't know
1: I guess it makes them seem like they've done more more work than they actually have, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I guess, it, like, if, if that's shown or publicly shown, then I guess it gets called out, right? And then the reputation goes down, which I, I think... Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it's not worth it if anybody's thinking of doing that. But yeah, man, it's been such a pleasure. I, I think it's been an amazing chat. I really I enjoyed imagine. this, and I hope you've also enjoyed this, but I... I hope a lot of people will find value in this, and I sure did. So, yeah, man, I, I really i am keen to see what the future holds for you and this space. Yeah, so yeah. lovely having you on. It's been a pleasure, and, yeah, hopefully catch you again soon.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Of course. Everybody, take care.